does a loving God really send people to hell? It's a great question. So these are coming from our teenagers, and so uh, they are things that they are thinking about and processing, but I think that would be a great question for us to handle as adults, because if you haven't wondered that or been able to think through that logically, you might have some people along the way that you talk to in faith that would go, hey, this is a hang-up for me. So hopefully by the end of today, we'll uh, be able to process that a little better, and then this week when you're with your kids, you can talk through this concept as well and maybe some other hard questions as well. Let's pray, and then we will jump in. Lord, there, is, there are so many things out there that, are, that can be stumbling blocks for people logically, yet as we study apologetics and we get into your word and we look at, at even things like science and things, Lord, we see uh, that your, your story holds up through all of the different tests. And so, Father, this morning as we talk about a difficult situation of a loving God and hell and some things that make us uncomfortable, I pray that you, your spirit would open up our heart, that the words that we read from the text of your scripture would penetrate our heart, and that we would uh, come to a clear understanding, and that clear understanding would cause us to love you even better than we do now. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us be equipped to answer other people's questions that are hard. Lord, we know that hard questions don't scare you. And as we journey through this for a couple of weeks, I pray that some of the answers would make it even easier for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in 2015, there was a guy, and his name was uh, Michael McFadden. Lived in Colorado, 46 years old, and he was convicted of molesting six different children. I mean, so this is a bad, bad guy. Uh, when it went through the court system, the evidences were there. I mean, it was a pretty quick conviction. And he was sentenced to 316 years in prison. So you, you know by that sentence how, how, how bad of a guy this was. Well, in our system, which is a good thing, there are appeals. And you can go and appeal and a conviction until it gets all the way up. And then you, then you start your 316 years in prison. In one of the appeals courts, his lawyers asked for the jury to have uh, some additional questionnaires to, to answer before they went into the courts. So the judge uh, that, and then I don't know all what happened, but somehow along the, the way, the, the uh, process slowed down a little bit, and his attorneys then began to argue that he was not given his right to a speedy trial. Now, part of that was because his own attorneys slowed it down. I said our system usually works, sometimes it doesn't. And in this case, the judge ruled that he had not had a speedy trial and erased the conviction. The 316 years were gone. And because of the way our court systems are set up, he was not able to and will never be able to be retried for those crimes. And because of that, he's not even listed as a sex offender on the sex offender registry. So let me ask you a rhetorical question, because I don't want any cuss words thrown out, because we're recording. <laughs> rhetorical question, how does that make you feel? If your child was one of the six children, and it was very personal, how would it make you feel? Anger? Bitter? Bitter? A lack of trust that the system would work, a mistrust in, in probably judges, lawyers, probably a mistrust in police officers, even though they had nothing to do with it, but just the whole system, you would go, it doesn't work. A feeling of being lost. 
And I can tell you this, like, like just real honest, like I've watched enough vigilante TV shows and movies in my life. Like, right? I mean, we're, we're all thinking that. We would think that that was such an injustice that if justice doesn't take place in the way it's supposed to, then I'll go get justice myself, right? That's, that's a very real feeling. And that feeling that you have when you hear stories like that, or maybe when you see kids who are you know, on TV and they're, they're, they're trying to raise money to, to feed kids and you see hungry kids and it pulls at your heartstrings, that, that sense of injustice that wells up in you and causes you to have an, an, an emotion, a reaction, all comes from us, you and I, being created in the image of God. If you go back to Genesis, that's what we're told. When God created, he says he created man in his own image. And, and because of that, we have deep inside of this, us a longing towards justice because we are created in God's nature, in God's character and nature, and God is, by definition, just. God is the, the picture of justice. And so when justice doesn't happen, we're created in his image. There's this dissonance in our life that goes, hey, something's not right because we were made in that, that image. Does that make sense? And so that's a, that is a real natural feeling that's also part of the struggle for us when we, when we think about hell, right? We think about someone that we care about or somebody that we know spending an eternity apart from God in whatever your uh, picture is of hell. It's usually a bad thing. The scripture gives us some ideas, but I can tell you what the, what the best definition of hell is. I mean, it What's worse than eternal fire, eternal darkness, and all that? What's the worst part about hell is that for eternity, you're separated from God. That's the worst part. Because you were created to be in the presence of God. I mean, that is why you're here, created as image, meant to be there, and for eternity, we, we, we wouldn't be. That, that's, that is the worst part about hell of all, let alone all the physical things that, that the Bible alludes to. And so when we start thinking about Man, if God is loving, how could he send somebody there? That just, in, in our own mind, feels unjust. And so we struggle with that. And, and that, it's okay to feel that way. In fact, I, I said this earlier, God is just. So whatever he does is just. But even though we're creating that image, sometimes we perceive things differently and, and we struggle through that. I have a friend who ha, has some kids, and one of their kids used to, try to do some power play type things when the family would go out to eat a meal. They'd go to a restaurant, and if it wasn't the restaurant that the, that the kid wanted to go to, he'd go, I don't want to go there. And the rest of the family, well, that's, that's where we're going. And so the kid would try this. They would go, well, well I'm just, I'm just going to eat at home then. I'm not going to eat. And they'd go, okay. And they'd get into the restaurant and sit down, and the kid would go, I'll have a cheeseburger and fries and, you know, and a Sprite. And, and they went through that and, and just over and over again. And it started to wear on the parents. They were like, this is... This is crazy. And so finally, the parents decide, hey, we're not going to play this game anymore. We're not going to do the emotional manipulation of, well, I, if, we, if I can't get my way, then I just won't eat. I'll be a martyr and I'll starve. So they go to a restaurant for lunch one day. Kid doesn't want to go. Kid says, I'm not, I'm not going to eat. And the parents say, okay, that's, that's fine. You can eat at home. So they go in, sit in the restaurant, and it's a, it's a Mexican food restaurant that also has like the all-day breakfast, and their kid loves like breakfast. He goes, okay. Well, I'll have, I'll have pancakes. And the parents said, no, no, you're not. And then, well, no, I changed my mind. I want to, I'll eat now. I said, no, you, you decided when we walked in that you were going to eat at home, so we're gonna, we're, you're going to eat at home today. The rest of us are going to eat here. You're just going to hang out with us while we eat. Uh, and next time, 
Next time we're going to a place, maybe you'll wait till you see the menu to decide if you want to eat at home or not and start, instead of playing the games. And so the family did. They ordered their meal. They ordered a meal for their, their other child. But here, here's what happens. When the one child who doesn't eat is moping and upset, the other child started to get emotional as well. And the other child started like, like arguing on behalf of the sibling, going, well, just, just let them eat. And the parents said, no, we, we've, we, we've done this too much. We've made the decision. And, and the, the younger child was going, well, that's not fair. And the parents said, well, absolutely is fair. We're just doing what, the, what this child said they wanted to do. Child started, younger child started trying to sneak food over and so, so then the parents have to lean in and go, if you do that, you're going to be grounded as well because we are, we are doing what this child asked to be done. Now, in that situation, that was probably just. It was probably the right thing to do. But even though it was the right thing to do, sometimes our perception from where we sit, what side of the table, may seem unjust. So, so let, me, let me say this for you. Because God is just, here is the cold, hard facts. If God chooses to send someone to hell, that is just. And it doesn't matter which side of the table we sit on. It is just. Now, what I want to suggest to you, what I want us to wrestle through today, is even though that may be the case, does God actually send people to hell? So, if he does, we can say because of his nature, track with me, because of his nature, he's just. If he does send people to hell, that is the just and right thing because God is just. He defines justice, not your eye. Just like in that story, the parents were the ones defining justice, not the, not the children on the other side of the table, okay? So if that is the case, then, then we've answered that question. Does, God send a, does a loving God send people to hell? Yes, and it is loving, and it is just, if that's where we land. But the bigger question is, maybe God doesn't send people to hell. Turn to John chapter 3. And I'm so excited because some of you that have grown up in the church are thinking right now, is he a universalist and we never knew? I'm so uncomfortable right now. Is he about to tell us that no one goes to hell, that hell doesn't exist? John chapter 3, you might have, recognized, you might have heard this verse. You might recognize it. We're going to go to verse 16. Right? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, 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 I got this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know that verse, right? That's, that's one of the first verses we ever learned. If you grew up in a church and went to vacation Bible school or things like that, that, was, that you, you knew that one from the very beginning, that God loves the world. Not, not just some people, not just a, a certain group, God loves the world, and he loves them so much an extent that he, he sacrificed his son. I don't know how long ago it was. It's been probably 17, 18 years ago. It was with a group, and we went to Chicago and on a mission trip with some kids. And had some, it, it was a choir trip, and if you ever grew up going to a youth choir church, you know a lot of times like you sing three times and then explore a city for the next eight days. That's how choir tours work. We're doing all kinds of stuff. We got to go to a White Sox game. We got to go to the Field Museum. We got to go, I mean, all over, see Chicago. It was, it was incredible. We wanted to go to a Chicago Cubs game, but if you know anything about the Cubs, the Cubs uh, stadium is extremely small. It's like the smallest in the major leagues. 
and it, it is difficult to get tickets to. It's really difficult to get tickets if you're trying to get 100 of them, even more so if you're trying to get them to the Cubs-Milwaukee game because Milwaukee is about 60 miles away. And so it's a, even though it's an away game for people in Milwaukee, they can, they can make the drive. So difficult to get tickets. We tried, reached, in, reached out to everybody we knew. In fact, Don Baylor, former Major League Baseball player, was the manager of the Cubs at this time. And we had a, a friend of ours who was the, the niece of Don Baylor. She called Uncle Don, said, Uncle Don, can you get us tickets? He said, you're crazy. We can't get you tickets. I can't get you tickets for Chicago and Milwaukee. They, they just sell out like that. Certainly can't get you 100. There's no way. I might be able to get you two or three. So we start working all these channels, trying to find 100 tickets. We end up with about 30 that we're, we've got. And so the, the worship pastor at the time said, here's the deal. Today uh, or tomorrow, some of us are going to go to the Cubs game. Some of us are not. So if you want to go to the Cubs game, you're going to put your name in a hat. We're going to draw out in the first 30 names, get the tickets. We also had to have adults go, obviously. So he carved out some of the adults that would be going as sponsors, and the other adults would be taking the rest of the group someplace else. Well, a worship pastor at the time, he played uh, minor league or played, played college baseball, maybe minor league. I know he played college baseball, big baseball guy, and I love baseball too. I've been trying to go to every park around the major leagues. He knew that. And so we used to talk baseball all the time. And he said, hey, it'll be me, you, and the other youth pastor. We'll be the three adults that will go take these 30. He said, fantastic. I'm pumped. I'm going to Wrigley Field. So we get through. We start drawing the names. We got the group. And then the worship pastor comes to me. He goes, hey, I got, he goes, I got a question to ask you. See, we had a guy named Mark who was one of our adults, and Mark was a Minnesota Twins fan. I knew that because he wore Minnesota Twins hat all the time, but we never talked baseball. Just figures a hat. Well, Mark's role on this group was he went out to Chicago, I think it was like two weeks before we went, and he spent a week there just like we did, and he traveled and went to everything that we would do on that trip on the same itinerary that we would do. This is like hardcore mission trip planning. So, for example, if we are going from one site to sing at another site on Tuesday at 3, he would be at the site Tuesday two weeks before so that he could drive in the traffic to that next site so he could tell us it's going to take 45 minutes, even though it says it'll take 30. I mean, this is like youth worker of the year. Mark's come to the worship pastor and said, oh man, I would love to go to that Cubs game. But we don't, we've already given out 27 tickets to teenagers and three for adults. And so Mark comes to me and he says, hey, I know you love baseball. Would you consider giving your ticket to Mark and you taking the group to the planetarium? And I said, absolutely not. I'm kidding. I said, yes. I said, yes. I said, yeah, yeah, yes, I can do that. Um, And he said, thanks. That was a sacrifice. Now, because God is good, another kid's dad had been looking and worked for MBNA America, and his da- that dad called the day of the game and said, hey, I got you four extra tickets. And the kid said, hey, we got four tickets. And the, youth pa- the worship pastor said, well, you can go, but you have to have an adult sit down there with you. <laughs> well, guess who was free all of a sudden? <laughs> and who got to sit 15 rows behind third base while everybody else sat in the outfield? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Waving to them. Hope you enjoy the game, Mark. Um, At the moment, though, it did. It felt like a sacrifice. But you know what? Mark deserved, Mark, I would say, deserved it. Mark was one of, not just worked for the youth choir. He was our 10th grade director in our Sunday school. Mark was a fantastic guy. I love Mark. I appreciate Mark. When Mark said, hey, would you let me go to the game? Would I sacrifice that ticket? Absolutely. Because I love somebody. But that 
that pales in comparison to what we just read right here. For God so loved the world that he gave away a Chicago Cubs ticket. No, that he gave his only son. Gave his one and only son. And not just his only son, hold on to this for a second, but his blameless and perfect son. <coughs> he, he, it wasn't an equal trade. It wasn't like, oh man, you're, you're, you're so fantastic and my son's fantastic, so I don't, want, I don't want you to spend eternity apart from me. I don't want you to spend eternity in hell, so since you're so great, I'll let my son go in his place. It wasn't an equal trade. It was a trade of perfection for destitution. It was not even close to being fair. And here's the other thing. You might sacrifice something for somebody you love. I sacrificed for Mark because I loved him. It's a little more difficult to sacrifice for somebody that you don't know, though, right? If somebody just was, we were walking into Wrigley Field, and there's just a guy standing there with a sign that says, I need tickets. And I went, oh, you, need, you need them? Oh, okay. I don't even know the guy. I, I wouldn't have sacrificed. Now, now take it to the actual extreme, but what is true in this situation, it's not just a friend, and it's not just someone you don't know. It's an enemy, because the Scripture is very clear that we were enemies towards God. We rebelled against Him. We were, we, we were man, wallowing in our own sin. And God loved us so much that not just a friend and not just a stranger, but someone who had turned their back on Him that was antagonistic towards Him, that was an enemy, God said, you know what? I love you so much. I'll sacrifice my only son for you. That's huge. And also gives us a picture of another characteristic, another part of God's nature, that he's all loving. And that's how he is defined. But that, that still doesn't answer our question. So let's keep looking in chapter 3, verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus in order to make bad things happen. God didn't send Jesus because he wanted to make a dividing line that said, hey, you've got to choose one way or the other. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that we might be saved through him, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now look at this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, God didn't send Jesus because he was angry or, or even because he went, you know what, I'm sending Jesus so you get to choose heaven or hell. He sent Jesus because we were condemned already. There was no choice. We were all going to hell. That, that was option A, B, C, and D. There was no alternative. And so God didn't send Jesus in order to make the dividing line. He sent Jesus in order to provide a way out of something that was already set in place. And so we, we, look at, we, we look at God and we ask this question, if God is all loving, how could he send people to hell? You know, the crazy thing is the exact opposite is happening because we were already headed to hell. We were condemned already. The all-loving God said, I'm going to send Jesus because I don't want you there. I want to provide a way out. I want you to have a, a relationship with me. I want you to have eternity with me. I want you to spend forever in my presence. So let's just get a picture of what it is. And actually, I kind of wrote some things out for those of you that are visual learners that I didn't want you to miss. I want, I want you to look at some things. We're just going to run through these things. Hit that next slide for me. Here, here's what we know. A good God created a good world, and we broke it. A good God gave us directions on how to live the best life, 
and how to have a relationship with him. Because he wanted you to have it all. He wanted you to have life that was overflowing. We decided we want to do life our own way, gave God the middle finger, and proceeded to ignore what he said. Right? God's perfect. Heaven's perfect. Sin cannot enter heaven. So we alienated ourselves. When when we chose to sin, we were the ones that, that stepped out of the blessing, out of what the good God had given us. Hit the next slide. God's just, and we want him to be, right? I mean, I hope hope you understand what happens if the the creator of the world, the person who holds it all together, is unjust. That's not a good thing. God is just. He couldn't look away from sin. Sin has to be punished. That's a part of justice. If sin's not punished, we have a world of injustice. Yet a loving God had mercy, sacrificed his only son who was sinless and had never rebelled. We just talked about that. A loving God provided a way that cost us nothing. There's no list of things we do. We don't work our way out of our mess by doing more good things than bad things. We simply receive the gift of eternal life. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. This good God who who, who made a way for you and gave you, hey, here's how to live life. And we're the ones that went, nope, forget it. I don't want to. I want to do my own thing. And then then sin happens, and we're broken, and and, and we're blaming God. That's a whole other message for a whole other time. And God says, hey, I want you to have the way out. I mean, wouldn't it make sense, it would to me, if God went, you know what, hey, you've done this, 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 and this. So, if you want to be reconciled to me, you're going to have to do that, 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 and that. That would make sense. The guy said, nope, I'll do it all because I love you that much. Last slide. Our sin separates from God. God didn't separate us from himself. We did it. God didn't send anyone away from him. And if we die without receiving the loving God's gift, it isn't God sending us away from him to hell. It's us staying right where we walked. For some reason, and I know the reason, because there's an enemy who twists truth. For some reason, we've had a God who did everything he could to provide a way back to him. And we've shifted the question to how could God send someone to hell? If you're out in the Utah canyons, enjoying that beautiful, picturesque creation that God gave. As the sun begins to set, it starts to bathe it all into this beautiful, red masterpiece. As the sun goes down and it gets dark, it gets quiet and lonely out in the middle of nowhere. You might remember a few years ago, there was a movie that came out called 127 Hours. You remember that story about a a guy? I'm looking up his name. I can't remember. Aaron Ralston. Remember that story? The guy, and that, he was out here. And he's climbing through the canyons all alone. And he got down a canyon. A boulder came and pinned his arm against the canyon wall. You remember this? And he's there for 127 hours. And, and the way he got out was like the manliest way ever. <laughs> Took his dull knife and cut his own arm off. And walked out. It's a movie made. He's an inspirational speaker now. Travels around. But let's Flip that story just a little bit. Let's say that Aaron is out in the canyon and he is out hiking all alone, which he knows he's not supposed to do. You never go hiking alone. You never go mountain climbing. But he's done it anyway, and he did it this time. He does it, and what happens happens. He gets trapped. The boulder comes down, and it pins his arm, and he's, and he's stuck, and he's yelling for help. But in this story, it's different 
because someone hears his cries for help. And they call the rescue team. And the rescue team shows up. And, and the movie is not going to be called 127 hours. It's going to be called three hours because it's somebody's there. And they rappel down into the canyon. And they, 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 they wedge the boulder off his hand. And they, they hand him a hook. And they go, hey, hook this onto your belt. And we're going to pull you out. And he goes, no. No, no, no. Leave me alone. And he starts actually dropping himself further down the canyon. And the rescue people are going, what in the world's going on? And they go a little further. They're like, Aaron, take, take the hook. Hook it on. We'll pull you out. He says, listen, this is America. It's a free country. I can do what I want. You can't make me come out of here, so leave me alone. And the rescue workers think about it for a moment, and they're like, I mean, it, I mean it's a free country. Like, and, they're, and they're like, Aaron, listen, you're, you're making it worse. We're, we're here. We get you out. And he just keeps going further <coughs> down the canyon, pushing himself away from them. And the rescue workers go, okay. And then a few days go by, and Aaron is about to starve to death. Again, this is my story. You can still watch 127 Hours. This is not a spoiler. It's not how it happens. He's dying of thirst. And in his last moments, he yells out angry, I can't believe you left me here. Isn't that crazy? Yet it's a fairly good picture, it's not a perfect analogy, of exactly what we're talking about. Why does a loving God send people to hell? God's done everything he can to rescue. And people have said, leave me alone, leave me here. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't, I don't want your way of life, even though he created it and it's the best way. I don't want peace. I don't want, I don't want life eternal. I, don't want, I want to do my own thing. And they're condemned already. And for, for some reason, we blame God. So l- let me just throw this out to you if you, haven't, if you haven't gotten there already. God has given us free choice. He's allowed us to make decisions because love requires choice. You, you can't love somebody. If you love somebody, it's because you choose to. Somebody puts a gun to your head and says, hey, you will love that person. You, you nod your head. doesn't mean you're in love. You only can love them if you choose to. And God has given us this ability to love him because that's how a relationship works. I choose to love you. You choose to love me. I choose to walk with you. You bless me. There's, there's this give and take in this relationship. So God's given us free choice. And if we've chosen to walk away from him and sin, and we've chosen to ignore all of his pleas and all of the people that he sent to, to call us back to him, if we, if we choose to rebel, if we choose to say, listen, God, listen, church people, listen, friend who's come to share the gospel with me, I don't care. I don't believe. I don't want anything to do with your God. Why would a loving God usurp their free choice and go, nope, I'm going to make you? It's quite possible that that wouldn't be the loving thing to do. So I want to suggest to us to think through that we take the responsibility that we've placed on God off of him and put it on ourselves. Because we're the one that climbed down the canyon all alone. We're the one that is, 
ignored and rejected everything that this good and loving God has come to give us. So if you are a believer, which I think probably most of us in the room are, here's what I want to ask you to consider. This past week compared to maybe this week, how will your life reflect a life that's been rescued? Right? I mean, the guy that Aaron that cut his arm off, he's traveling the world telling everybody about it. He rescued himself. He's an inspirational speaker. If somebody had come and, and that was going to be your lot in life, but they heard you and they came and they sacrificed and they got you out of that canyon, wouldn't you have this like eternal gratitude towards them for changing your, your life, saving your life? Like, like certainly, they would at the very least get a Christmas card. <laughs> yeah, hey, thanks. Only way to send these cards to you is because of you. Our life would be different because of that person. We'd go back and, and we would tell their story. I mean, if it wasn't for him, and when we found out that they needed something, we'd be the first person in line. We, our life would be different because we were rescued. And so the question, if you're walking with Jesus, is this, and this is a real question. How is your life different today than it was before you were rescued? And you might be able to point some things. Man, I, maybe you have grown spiritually, and, and, as you should. But there's also, this is what happens too. If you were rescued as a child, sometimes the memory fades. And I don't wish anybody to have one of those gutter to glory testimonies. But it's interesting when you find adults who are in their 30s that met Jesus for the first time and he rescued them from 30 years of garbage. Sometimes their life is a little bit better reflection than somebody like mine who was rescued when he was seven. But it doesn't change the fact that I wasn't just rescued from sin at seven, but I was rescued from all kinds of things that the enemy had planned for me from when I was seven to when I was 43. And I should be thankful and gracious and living a life in response to God, not just because of what he rescued me from, what he rescued me from experiencing later. If you're not a believer, if you've done the church thing, I mean, I understand that. Lots of people, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes when you get to be our age, sometimes we've gone to church so long that we just kind of assume, yeah, yeah, I am. But has there ever been a time in your life where, where, where you literally were rescued? Were you able to say to Jesus, hey, I'm a sinner. I've got all of this baggage. I've got all of these things that I've done. I've tried to live life my own way, and it hasn't worked. I tried to medicate it by going to church. I tried to medicate it by, by sitting in a circle on a Sunday morning at 9.30, but God, I'm still not rescued. I'm still trapped in my sin, and I need you. If you're not a believer, today's, the, today's that day to say, Jesus, come rescue me. Because here's what the Word says. As I was condemned already. You're already sitting on the negative spot of the ledger. But God has this plan for you. Let's just pray for a second. I'm going to give an invitation on Wednesday night, I know. But I just want to pray for a second. If there is a parent in the room that you go, man, I know that's me. I just want you, and you want Jesus, I just want you to 
invite Jesus into your life today. And you just pray. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross for me. I know that you came to rescue me. And I want to take the hook and attach it to the belt. Thank you for saving me. Amen. That means you can look up. Here, here's what I know. If you're a parent who's got kids down the hallway, one of the most difficult things to probably say to your kid, and it shouldn't be this way, but is, hey, I accepted Christ today. Because you know what? Your kids are going to go, what? what? What do you mean? You've been making us come to church for five years. You know? But that's a celebration. And if you accepted Jesus today, you need to tell your small group here in a, when we have some time to share, come tell me afterwards. We need to talk baptism. We need to talk about all those next steps growth. But what an incredible thing to be rescued. I'm going to leave you with a Max Lakato quote, and I put it up on the screen as well. From one of his books, Lakato says, there are many reasons God saves you. To bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty, but one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe and he chose your heart. Face it, friends. He's crazy about you. Let me ask the question, does a loving God send people to hell? It takes the, pit, the focus off of God's love and onto this mean God that doesn't want people with him. And that is so not the picture of who God is. He wants your heart, wants to walk with you, loves your kids passionately, wants you to experience life to the full. So let's help people along the way realize that God is not out to try to send them to hell. God is out trying to save them from it. You've got about 15, 20 minutes inside the app. There are some questions uh, to start walking through. There's also some questions if you have the parent app uh, that you can download. That's got some, uh, a couple of questions for you to ask your kids this week to kind of talk through this message. All right? If you, can't, if you have problems with the app, let me know. I'll get you squared away, and I'll come up and give us some announcements when we're done.